0: Three years ago, Dan and I and the rest of you all uh, learned about this COVID thing. And we're like, what's going on? And we didn't have any answers to
1: things. We so- you know what's so weird about it? Here it is, what, three years later. Yeah. Because <clears throat> you and I were talking. And I said, yeah, that close, because we were right across the street doing a remote. He goes, dude, that was three years ago before <laughs> the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, And so the, the time is yes. just
0: time is funny in oh. your head because you can't remember when things happened because we were weird for a year and a half or whatever. Yeah,
1: Now we're post pandemic.
0: So we uh, uh, originally uh, we were introduced to the next guest, Dr. Doug Casper, right away at the beginning part of covid. He is at University of Illinois College. College. College of Medicine here in Peoria is an infectious disease person, uh, a specialist. And we started asking all the questions. There was a thousand questions every week, right? So now we're going along. And good morning, doctor. First of all, good to see you. Uh,
2: Yeah, good morning.
0: But now today, I want to talk to you about this. The FDA said yesterday that, look, uh, we're going to try to simplify the use and the updating of uh, of COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, they want to uh, look at the uh, the strain, like in June ish, and then much like we do with the seasonal flu, then re- make a recommendation about that. To, uh, explain that to us. Yeah, uh, because so now,
1: now, just uh, and, and and hearing that story, uh, the new strains, and you have been saying this all along, aren't going to be any more virulent than some of the original strains of COVID. And now it's getting into a pattern where some may be more contagious than others, but it really is starting to parallel the seasonal flu.
2: Yeah, this is a major policy shift. This is um, kind of the exact opposite of what we've been telling people about COVID for a long time. So there's couple parts to this. The first part is is that by switching to a seasonal um, administration of vaccines, there's an admission that the virus is now endemic, meaning it's in our population and it's not going away. And so we're being told to prepare for yearly uh, increase in activity, which is, is how we view flu. But we that's not exactly how we've talked about COVID the entire time. We've talked about discrete period of surges with this hope, level would go down very low and stay very low. So that's one part about um, that I guess we're being told to predict increased levels at parts of the year. The second part is we've discussed that the value of the vaccine seems to be during to overlap during a period of high activity, meaning that the antibody-based protection from the vaccine seems to last four to six months. And so we know that there are other benefits from it, but switching to a yearly administration doesn't really uh, mimic the pattern of what we were told that uh, vaccines provided protection. And so uh, for though this is kind of early guidance meaning that the, the formal guidance is based on a meeting I think it's going to happen on Thursday so maybe some of this is subject to change. But what really I think you're seeing here is is that there's an admission that the risk of covid is not uniform anymore meaning across age groups that there is protection that we have seen with multiple variant strains that have come through even in the calendar year twenty two to now that have just not driven up hospitalized cases. And so because of that, uh, use of vaccination across all age groups does not require the same recommendation. Uh use at uh you know frequent periods, meaning boosting every you know, four months, six months, whatever it is doesn't require the same kind of strength that we had pushed that earlier. And so that's a really dramatic change. Like you said, three years into this, is that this appears to be more of a long, looking at this at a very long view change, rather than a shorter period of time.
1: Do we, Go ahead, then? What would it take studying uh, infectious diseases? What would it take for um a strain to come out that is similar to the early strains that is more dangerous across the board to a wide variety of people are we has has this strain kind well various strains uh has covid kind of run out where it's petered out in its its ability to cause major harm and now is kind of stabilized in these strains where it's contagious but not dangerous to a wide variety of the population.
2: Yeah, I've thought that in written periods, like you were saying, you know over these three years, they kind of just feel like one long medical year. you know to mm-hmm. me. I mean it's even hard to remember some of the different months whether it's February of 20 or 21 or whatever. Uh, what we've learned, what I've learned to say is, is that um, the prediction part of it is not, I'm not very good at that. Um, what we have is we have a year of information since January of 22 when Omicron emerged, and there was a high surge of cases. And since that time, we've just not seen that show up in the hospitals. We, you know, since that went down by maybe February or March we've had a sustained low activity of hospital admissions. And there are certainly people that get ill with COVID and have long-lasting effects. There are those that require hospitalization still. But that the, the you know, regular, and I put that in quotes, the, the regular healthy person is no longer requiring um, ER visit or hospitalization when they get sick with COVID. And so I think that that's what's driving a lot of our, our policy and our future direction with discussing this.
0: The possibility of something else, this is dovetailing a little bit on what Dan just asked, but to take COVID out of this. I didn't know the word COVID. Most of us, we didn't say that three years ago, right? And so we learned this new thing. There's always the chance there's another new thing. Yes or no?
2: Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, oh, certainly. I mean, there are reservoirs of viruses and animal populations that are studied, and they just don't cross over. And we see this with Ebola. You know, Ebola doesn't even really evoke the emotion that it used to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, there are out- there are outbreaks of things all the time, but the key has always been the infectiousness and in how how sick you get have to match up. A virus that gets you sick and then leads to death doesn't last very long, meaning it doesn't go across many different people. And so viruses need to be able to spread, mm. and the dynamics of spread by themselves are, are quite complicated. Got it.
0: Now, going back to the first part with the FDA making this recommendation about they'll study in June, and then they'll make recommendations for the fall, does that indicate then that, that there, is a, there will be or predicts to be a seasonal movement of the latest variant?
2: Yeah, I think it's that, and I think it's also the seasonal patterns of of where we are in North America. We tend to separate in the spring, and then we return together when school starts up in the fall. So I think that some of the prediction is just when when do we congregate, and when do we start to congregate indoors with each other? Uh,
1: We want to deviate slightly. uh, Jeff Beck, the guitarist who recently died, and we have a colleague right now who has uh, contracted bacterial meningitis. And it's one of those things that we don't know much about. We know it's very dangerous. Um, but, you know, it, at least when you have COVID or the Omicron virus, we kind of understand how it spreads, we kind of understand how it affects the body. Uh, we realize that certain people are more vulnerable. But when it comes to bacterial meningitis, and when you are personally associated with someone who has it and and has has to battle it, it's one of those things we don't know much about. Can you explain what it is and and how prevalent it is in the uh, in the world?
2: Yeah, bacterial meningitis is, is fairly rare. Um, so our our again. Whatever medicine can do, and there are a lot of wonderful things that medicine can do, it does not replicate the, the human body. The human body and its systems, so our immune systems, our, our physical defenses, our skin, are wonderful at protecting. We've evolved to the state that allows people to grow up and survive many different exposures during childhood and you know, you can break bones and all these things. Your body is capable of fixing itself. There are infections that can still occur in this setting and, and really when you talk about infection, it's just how deep does the infection go? You know, is it at your skin or is it quite deep? Men- bacterial meningitis is a very deep infection. It gets into your central nervous system, which is walled off from the rest of your body. And so there is protection for it. Uh, vaccination that is age, you know, related, meaning you qualify at different ages in your life can be very useful to prevent the uh, or lower the risk of contracting it. But bacterial meningitis is a severe, severe infection that um, fortunately is quite rare outside of, you know, some unfortunate cases or traumas, people in car wrecks, things like that. Sometimes we see, but, not nearly at a regular risk of, like, viral infections or things that we pass to each other.
0: All right. We'll uh, see if we find out more guidance uh, on the proposal uh, of uh, this new vaccine uh, protocol on Thursday's meeting, and then we'll talk to you about that next week. Dr. Doug Casper, University of Illinois College of Medicine here in Peoria.